Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. We are, we're continuing on in our study on intentional parenting. And I said in the first gathering, we have some guest speakers today. They're not guests. They're members. They've been members for for a good while now. They serve in our ministries. They're a part of our church in so many ways. But about nine months ago, when I knew this series was going to happen, this was a couple that I wanted to have on this stage. Now, with some prayer and twisting of arms and lots of prayer and fasting, they're going to be on the stage today. I'm so glad to have uh, the Reddicks with us. Uh, Lindsay is a, a nurse in practice or getting ready to be a nurse one of these days when she graduates. But she has a master's degree in family counseling. Jeff is a professor and also a counselor at Joshua Center. And I wanted them to come and share with us as parents in the thick of it, but as also that, that trained counselor therapist to be able to speak into our life from God's word. And so we're glad to have them come to share with us today and welcome them into our church. And so Luther is also graduating. He's graduating from the fifth grade this week. Yes. And we're wanting Luther to come and read the word of God for us this morning. Luther, take it away, bud. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Awesome. Thank you, Luther. I know I had a few people this morning even wonder why we were having Luther read 17 verses, but he did a great job. He did a great job. Thanks, Luther. Thank you. Well, thanks, y'all, for welcoming us up onto the stage. We're professionals now since we've done this one time already today. 
You don't feel that way? Nah. All right. Um, So we are just regular church-going members like everybody in here, and so we're humbled and excited, maybe still a little nervous to be up here in front of everybody. Okay. Um, But I think just to say that even though we have some education, some counseling like behind us, it doesn't protect us from all of the troubles of parenting. It doesn't make parenting any less difficult. And so we're going to unpack that as just fellow church-going members with y'all today. Um, Once again, thanks to Luther for reading our full passage today. So it's important for us to have the context of what Paul talked about throughout the beginning of Colossians so we can better understand our specific verse for today, which is verse 21. The CSB version says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. The ESV version says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And if this sounds familiar, it's because Paul wrote something very similar in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And if you're wondering why Paul might have written similar letters to to two different churches, we have to remember that Paul wrote the letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians at the same time. So it's reasonable to assume that both churches needed guidance on parenting. And so there's two different people in two different churches struggling with the same things and asking the same types of questions. Which is comforting, at least to me, to know that uh, parenting's been hard for at least 2,000 years, right? Mm -hmm. So Paul wrote this to them back then, and it's still applicable for us today. So uh, before we get too deep into it, I want to make sure that we're building off of our previous sermons. So even two weeks ago when Mike and Lori were up here to talk about discipline, um, anybody else try to discipline their kids after that passage that that week? Just us? (laughs) Only us? Okay. No big deal. Um, Because if your kids are at all like our kids, they would have you believe that the thing that provokes them to anger, the thing that exasperates them, is actually discipline. And that if we would just stop disciplining them, then they wouldn't actually be exasperated or provoked. When we went home that day, we kind of had that reinvigoration of like, all right, we're going to discipline our kids again, right? Um, But in a loving way. Right? And so I had reminded the girls that, you know, if they didn't clean their room by the end of the day, that there was going to be a consequence. And the end of the day comes around, they did not clean their room, right? They start to realize that, uh-oh, we cannot have our iPads tomorrow, which is the worst thing that a kid could have, I guess, today. And so that's when the tears started, when the wailing and the, the disagreeing. And my, my oldest decided to tell me that if she were the parent, she would go ahead and let the, her kids have the iPads, even though they disobeyed, right? right? And so she's trying to, she's kind of, and she even wrote us a note at the end of the night, right? Before she went to bed, it's right here on the screen. It says, I'm mad and sad, I love you, right? She's kind of communicating like, hey, I'm upset. If you would just let me have my iPad, I wouldn't so even be sad. A frowny face with some tears coming yeah. down. And so just letting us know kind of how um, upset she was. And there's a difference, though, between like our kids getting upset because of discipline and our kids being upset and angry because of exasperation, which is what our passage um, says today. And that's what we're going to dive into. So to take a a closer look at this distinction, we have to remember the verses um, that came right before this one. So Paul has just spent two chapters calling out the false teaching that's going on in the Colossian church. 
And so he transitions to chapter three to talk about how to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And he calls on them to put on what he's calling their new self and gives instructions for various circumstances. He's talking to the dads, to moms, and to kids, and he is cautioning them about falling back into their old self. Yeah, we can't disconnect verse 21 from the entirety of chapter 3, right? Like, so us and our old self and putting on our new self flows right into what he's asking us to do. And so I want to break down just a couple of words in verse 21. So the first is like, why is this directed to dads in particular? So there's some commentaries that would affirm that this word could have been translated just as easily to all parents, that it's really just kind of denoting anybody that's responsible for kids. So we could have translated it differently. There's other commentaries that would say, if you're talking to both parents, you should talk to the dad because that's what it was like back then. The dad was the representative of the family. So he would be the one that received the message and then would take it back home. But I think it's just as easy to believe that like this was intended for dads for a specific reason perhaps even in those churches, maybe even today, that this was a message that some dads needed to hear. And even if that's true for us today, I think there's going to be lessons for all of us to be able to unpack. So the second thing, even though it's so directed to dads, maybe to all parents, is what does it actually mean to provoke your kids? Like, what does the word um, mean to exasperate? Those aren't just words that we typically use in our household. My daughter doesn't say, I'm exasperated, <laughs> though it wouldn't surprise me if she would. Not so this, um, this word is used twice in scripture, so only two times. So it's here in Colossians, it's translated as do not provoke or do not exasperate. It's also used in 2 Corinthians when it was said, um, and your zeal has stirred them up, which is a good thing. So there's things about us that could stir people up towards negative, right, towards discouragement. And there's also that same zeal, that same emotion, that same energy we have could stir people up for good things. So where this is actually used more than in scripture, this word erethizdo, is actually in Homer's Iliad, which I have a classical studies major, which I never thought would actually be useful until today. And here we are. So one time over the past 18 years, I guess. And so in Homer, when this word is translated, it's actually translated as to provoke somebody into combat, to goad them, to find fault within them, to remind that person that they're your enemy, that you're on opposite sides. And that, when I read that into the passage, it actually um, hits a little bit deeper, right? That we're being asked to not um, communicate to our kids that we're enemies. So if you just read the verse by itself, fathers do not exasperate your children for it will discourage them. Um, it, it might be losing some of the context. So if we could kind of put it up on the screen, like our verse in context, it says, parents do not let your old self be the one that reacts to your children. Stirred up out of your own frustration and anger and break their spirit, teaching them that you're their enemy. So let's go back to the beginning of chapter three. <clears throat> Paul's getting us back on track and reminding us that we should be different now that we're in Christ. Colossians three, one through four says, then if have you been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
So verse three is reminding us that we have died and that we should no longer be acting in the same ways that we did in our past. So there should be something significantly different about how we act, how we parent, how we discipline, how we relate and respond, because our old self has died. So our our main principle for today reads this way. Parenting from our old self teaches our children that we're their enemy. Parenting from our new self teaches our children that they're safe. There should be some distinction between who we were before Christ and who we are after Christ as it shows up in our parenting. Our old self was an enemy of the Lord, but through Jesus's death and resurrection, he reconciled us so that we could be in relationship with the Father for eternity. So for us, dying to our old self and in parenting from our new self, we not only teach our children that they can be in safe relationship with us, but we actually get to point them back to Christ who died for them too. This is just another way beyond bringing our kids to church, beyond having them memorize scripture, that we get to model to our kids what it means to be a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. So Paul goes on to say in Colossians 3, 5 through 9, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off the old self with its practices." So this isn't an exhaustive list of all of the sinful tendencies that we might have had in our old self, but it's, it's a pretty good start. So I think what Paul is asking us right here is to remember who you were when you were disconnected from Christ and what you were like. So even like this morning, kind of think about that for yourself. Like, what were your, how did you talk? What were your typical reactions um, when your emotions got stirred up and triggered? Like, how did you respond to those And how often does that person, that old self version of you, does he or she come back even today? Chances are, if you're like, if you're like me, if you're like us, that old self tries to come back when you're stirred up, right? When things aren't going your way, when you're exhausted, when you've been in conflict, um, when your, your own feelings have been hurt, when you're frustrated, when your kids have disobeyed you for the fifth time in a row, when you're and it's bedtime and your kids don't like bedtime even though you've been doing bedtime for the last 10 years, anytime when the parenting moments get hard is a chance where our old self may come back in because it's the time when we get stirred up too. And when that happens, we're going to talk about kind of two primary ways that our, when our emotions get triggered that our old self comes back in. So again, remember, these are ways that we might be provoking or exasperating our kids or if you Think back to how we translated it. How you communicate to your kids that you're on opposite sides, that you're their enemy. And we do that through two different ways. So through harshness or irritability or through withdrawing and disengagement. You might be able to categorize these as fight or flight responses. And you have more responses than these, but I think this is going to give us a good picture of what it might look like when we're a parent. Now, uh, we all do things. We all have reactions When you get frustrated, you respond in a specific way. And I'm not saying you do that all the time, but we're not always at our best. And you're not a bad person or a bad parent 
if these are things that you've done or will even do today, or maybe you've already done on the way to church when you were getting into it with your kids this morning. Chances are you developed your reactions for good reasons. If I took the time to talk to you about what it was like for you even growing up, it might even make a lot of sense for kind of how you've developed these things. But even though we have good reasons for the ways that we react to our kids, it's possible and even likely that those good intentions you have are communicating something different to your kids. That the enemy is actually taking the message that you've intended to tell your kids and he's twisting it and a different message is landing for them. Our intent is not the same as our impact on our kids. So our our passage in verse 21 reminds us that parenting has consequences. It says, don't exasperate your kids lest they be discouraged. We don't want to break their spirit. We have to be mindful of how we respond and what it's saying to our kids. You might be intending to communicate that you're just frustrated, but actually your harshness communicates to your kids that they're a failure. You might be intending to communicate that you just need a minute or that you're tired, and yet you withdrawing actually communicates to your kids that they might be rejected or that they're just too much. We have to be able to prioritize understanding the impact of our actions and not defend our intent. Because without understanding the impact of our actions, both of these kinds of strategies, whether you're a fighter or a flighter, um, could teach our kids that we're their enemies. Now, I'm going to talk about harshness. Lindsay's going to talk about withdrawing. Those tend to be the seats that we occupy in our relationship with our kids when our old selves come back. So for me, with harshness, harshness means things like uh, being critical, um, scolding, kind of threatening, like getting a little bit louder, more activated, more animated. This could be um, kind of setting the bar of success at a place that your kids can't reach. And this, this one's me, unfortunately. Like, well, so what research tells us is parents that are harsh, right, that use more harsh parenting tactics actually have adolescents who have more irritability and a tendency to internalize their own problems. It also tells us that harsher parenting strategies produce kids with higher behavioral problems, increased sleep problems, and less verbal skills. Harshness exasperates our kids because it sends them the message that they're a failure, that they can't measure up to our expectations, that nothing is ever quite good enough, that they could have cleaned their room better, that they could have obeyed faster, that their sibling did it a little bit better than they did. When we compare them, when we criticize them, they, though we might be intending that message to mean something, what they might be picking up instead is that they're a failure. Because when our kids hear criticism, uh, they internalize it. They, they start to believe that voice. They start to believe that lie. They start to uh, believe the message that the enemy wants them to hear as opposed to the message that we wanted to send them in the first place. Scripture has a lot to say about us being harsh with our words. Proverbs 15 tell us, tells us a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 29 tells us a fool gives full vent to his spirit. And James 3 tells us the tongue is a fire and a world of unrighteousness that no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Yeah, I think that that part lands for me like in a heavy place, right? So with the same mouth, we bless the Lord and we curse 
our image bearers, with our kids, right? These fellow image bearers. Now, my old self tends to come out after I've asked my daughters to do something and they haven't done it (laughs) the second time or the third time or the 14th time. Or if uh, I hear Lindsay ask them to do something and they don't, like if they disobey Lindsay, like I find myself like getting pretty activated. And so not too long ago after I had been, again, louder than I wished I would have been, I went back to my oldest to ask her like, hey, what was that like for us or for you when I was loud? And she said, I don't like it when you get angry because you get really loud. Now, when she says that, I have kind of two paths. I have this fork in the road And path one is the road that I travel down more often than I'd like to, and I start to defend myself to a seven-year-old, right? Like anybody tried to defend yourself to somebody a lot younger than you? It doesn't tend to go very well. So she says, I don't like it when you get angry, you get loud. And I say, well, I don't like it when you disobey. I just wish you would obey. Or I wouldn't get loud if you would listen to me when I was soft. It seems like you only obey when I get loud. And so we kind of get back in this back and forth, and it doesn't end well because, again, I'm trying to defend myself to a seven-year-old. But in that moment instead, I took path two, which is instead of trying to defend my intent, I tried to understand the impact of what it looked like on her. And I said, what was it like for you when dad got loud? And she said, I started to get worried that you didn't love me anymore which is a much deeper message than I ever would have anticipated her receiving from me because I didn't say that. Like, I would never say that. And yet, the, just because of my voice getting loud, she heard something that I would have never even intended and never would have imagined. She started to believe this message, or at least hear this message, that I think the enemy wanted her to hear. And so if I, if I only defend my intent, I miss the possible underlying message, the possible message that the enemy is trying to send her. So it's probably easier to see how we can kind of provoke and exasperate our children through harsh parenting and anger. But there's another way we can teach our kids that we're enemies too. And that often looks like parents who can shut down, withdraw, or disengage. And so we go silent, We don't want to talk about conflict. We often leave the room. We will not circle back to chat with our kids the next day and who often leave the other spouse to deal with it. We're also the kind of parents that shut down our kids' emotions too, especially if they're loud or they're crying or they're upset. And we often withdraw if our kids do not obey because we don't want to deal with it. And in return, the kids have to deal with it themselves. So by refusing to engage with our kids' emotions, the punishment for them is actually the isolation. So this happened a few weeks ago in our house. Jeff was working late, and it was my job to put the kids to bed that night. And let me preface this by saying that Jeff is the parent that puts the kids to bed. I am often overstimulated, overtired by the time bedtime comes around, so it's best for our whole family if he just handles the bedtime. (laughs) However, that night, I had made a deal with my girls. I said, you can stay up a little bit later, but the, the deal is, in return, you have to go straight to bed, not get back up when I tell you that it's bedtime. Our kids love to make deals. They're not so great at following through on oh, their Oh, never, deals. never. Yeah. 
So when bedtime rolls around, um, Murphy, our youngest daughter, decides she wants to keep her lamp on so she can continue to play and to color. And so I came in and told her, no, you know, we had a deal. That's not the deal. Yeah. She became physically upset and did not want to go to bed. Well, I had kind of already had enough that day. And so I did what every loving wife would do. I called Jeff to handle it. Anybody talk to a five-year-old while they're screaming on the phone? Is that easy, (laughs) difficult? Yeah. yeah. So I was choosing to not engage with Murphy because I was ready to go to bed myself. I was overstimulated, overtouched, and wanted to be done for the day too. But I was afraid of engaging with her for fear of making the situation worse. And honestly, your girl just needed a minute. But I was unwilling to go back in and engage with Murphy. So in my quest to make Jeff handle her, I may have inadvertently give Murph the messages that she was unwanted, unlovable, or was just too much for me to handle. Research tells us that moms and dads with avoidant attachments end up having kids with higher anxiety. When parents avoid the hard moments, when we disengage from situations, when our kids are upset, frustrated, and crying, they start to develop their own internal voice that's super hyperactive. And since they don't have a parent there that is able to speak life into them, they start to develop their own internal voice. And that is the voice that the enemy wants them to hear. And yet, Scripture calls us to engage and to respond. Romans 12 tells us to weep with those who weep. 1 Peter 3 tells us to have a tender heart and a humble mind. 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that we are to comfort those who are in any affliction because we ourselves have been comforted by God. So Scripture is telling us to not hide behind the other parent. And y'all, this is so easy for me to do. My husband is a therapist. This is his ball game. So it is super easy for me to punt to him every single time. But y'all, our kids need a parent who is in it with them, a parent who can empathize, have compassion, who rejoices and weeps, and who is tender and comforting. So when we choose to not respond to our kids' emotions, it causes them to have this huge internal struggle. Yeah, and again, there's nothing wrong with like asking your spouse or somebody else to help you in those moments, right? Because you're really frustrated. You don't want to make it worse. I get that, right? I think in any of these one-off moments, I think is totally fine. What What we're cautioning us against is these patterns that we've developed when our old self tends to be that one that consistently responds to our kids as opposed to this new self one. And these messages that we unintentionally send to our kids uh, can happen at any age. This is not just for five years old. It's not for 12, 17. We send messages to our kids as long as they're still our kids. And it could begin as early as infancy. So we're going to watch just a quick video of a, of a research experiment, which I know is not something we typically do on Sundays, but I'm a professor and it's something that I do all the time. So we're going to watch this experiment. It's called the still face experiment. So researchers asked moms and dads to play with their kid as normal, to respond to their um, emotions, to their like verbal cues as normal. And then the researcher would give them a cue and they asked them to just go blank, to not respond to anything 
for just two minutes, and you're going to be able to see what happens into a kid even when her mom doesn't respond for two minutes. In this still phase experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I need my girl. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. Okay. So you can see that a lack of response, even in two minutes, produces extreme anguish for this little girl. And again, you might be thinking, like, I would never do that to my, like, newborn, to my uh, little girl. And yet, this is something that we probably do unintentionally uh, for a really long time throughout our kids' ages. So if we're telling them things like, hey, don't cry, Uh, go to your room if you're going to act like that, Um, like calm down before you talk to me, like anything that kind of teaches them that we're not okay for them to have pain or to experience an emotion is a way that we're kind of still facing our kid at any age. And this exasperates our kids entire physical bodies. You saw her in physical anguish. She couldn't even have control over her body when her mom wouldn't respond to her cues. Because our kids, much like us, they have their own internal systems telling them that something is wrong, right? So whether that's a parent being critical or a parent who doesn't respond, our kids have this internal system that says, hey, something's not right here. But they get sent the message that we can't talk about it. So they are left to deal with it themselves. They're left to listen to other messages that are coming in, which might be messages that the enemy wants them to hear. So what do do we do instead? Right? Like if this is what is the problem that we're teaching our kids that we're enemies because of these reactions we have, whether it's by being too critical and harsh or by not engaging enough, what do we do instead? And Paul tells us in later on in chapter 3 to put on our new self. Remember, this is exactly what he's writing right before he cautions fathers to not exasperate their kids. He reminds them, die to your old self. Put on these qualities, your new self. The new self that is compassionate and kind, 
that is humble and meek, patient and forgiving. These are traits that Paul is asking all of us to demonstrate to our kids. It's not just for moms, right? It's not just for therapists. It's not just for Enneagram number twos, right? The people that think that we think are better at this. We think, well, we'll let my spouse do that because they're better at it. Scripture is asking all of us to do this. If we are a Christ follower, if we have a new self, these are qualities that should be demonstrated by us to our kids. So if we're going to teach our kids that we're not enemies, we have to ask ourselves, what do enemies not do? Enemies do not repair. They just pile it on. Enemies are not safe. They are not trustworthy, and they will leave you in your own hurt. They don't care about the impact of their words or of their actions. So if we're not going to be enemies, we have to do the opposite. We have to repair. We have to seek to be safe, and we have to care about the impact of our words and our actions. So the good news here is parenting is not about perfectionism. We don't have to get this right every time. In fact, research tells us that parents are going to get this wrong 70% of the time. And that's in secure, safe relationships with our kids. So here, we're only shooting for about one of every three moments where we get this right on the first try. In fact, we actually have to fail so we learn how to repair. Because if we never fail, then we never get that opportunity. So if we're going to fail more times than we get it right, what are we going to do? We're going to get really, really good at all this fail, failure attempts to repair. So we have to seek to understand the impact of our words and our actions instead of elevating our own intent. So I'm gonna, we're getting close to the end here. I want to try to make this really practical. I think there's kind of two main ways that we can seek to repair, that we can seek to show our kids this new self and die to our old self. So the first one is to heal moments in the present. So what happens if even this morning we got into conflict with our kid, if I might have inadvertently sent them a message that I didn't intend to? We want to communicate to our kid that it matters that they've been hurt. We want to talk to them about their emotions, even if you're not any good at it. Even if the only emotions you know are happy, sad, and mad. Mm-hmm. Right? We want to be able to use their words, understand what it's been like from their experience, whether they're five years old, 17, 27, doesn't matter. We want to be able to communicate that it matters that they've been hurt. Now, two ways that I try to posture when I do this with my daughters is I ask myself two questions. I ask myself, what was my daughter's heart trying to communicate to me right there? Now, she might have been crying. She might have been yelling. She might have slammed her door. She might have been really frustrated. But beyond her behavior, I'm asking myself, what was her heart trying to say? And even deeper than that, I try to ask myself, what message was the enemy trying to send to her at that moment? What message that I did not intend to send, that I would have never said with my words, but the enemy might be trying to convince her of in that moment? And if I can posture with that way from me, I have a much better chance of understanding what it's been like to be them. So we seek to understand first, we correct behavior second. This doesn't mean you can't discipline This doesn't mean we can't set limits, we can't enforce boundaries, we can't have consequences. This just means that we want to understand what was going on at their heart level 
first. If we, if we reference back to that picture we showed you of my daughter's note to me um, that night after she was disciplined that said, I'm mad and I'm sad and I love you. That's actually success in our household, right? The fact that my daughters can communicate about what they were feeling and that they still know that we love them. I'm not scared of my daughter's anger, which maybe I will once they get older. (laughs) They're just five and seven. I'm not scared to engage them with anger or sadness because I know that if I am too scared, it might be sending them the wrong message. Compassion and discipline are not mutually exclusive. We can be compassionate and still have discipline too. Now, this second part might be a little bit harder for us, right? So the first part, I think I can, I think we can all agree, like trying to repair, trying to have conversations with our kids matters. Again, it doesn't matter if that was a conflict that happened today or 10 years ago, you can still repair from those moments. You can see why that matters. The second part I'm inviting you to consider is just as important. If you want to change patterns in the future, we need to be able to do this for ourselves too. This means taking responsibility for our own emotions and our own reactions and modeling that to our kids. This is us talking to the Lord about our own emotions and our fears about being a parent. Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He gets it. We can go to him. We can talk to him about what it's been like for us. We can ask the Lord, what's my heart trying to say? I know I raised my voice to my kids earlier, but what was really going on for me? I know I checked out. Why did I do that, Lord? What's really in the depths of my heart? I can ask the Lord, hey, what message am I pretty susceptible to that the enemy's trying to tell me? Is it that I'm a, I'm a failure as a dad? Is it that I'm just afraid of being rejected? What's really going on there? And then we get to have those conversations with our kids. We get to model to our kids what it looks like to take responsibility. When I go to my daughter and I say, hey, I know I raised my voice. I am so sorry. That had nothing to do with you being disobedient. It actually was because dad was afraid that he was just not being a good dad to you. And I took it out this way. That's a deeper conversation to have, but it's a conversation I have to have with the Lord first before I'm able to model to my daughters what it looks like to go to the Lord, to take responsibility for myself, to take responsibility for my emotions, and then my actions that came after that. We seek to understand our heart so that we can model what it looks like to do that with the Lord. And again, I hope this matters for you no matter how old your kids are, whether they're, you're new, they're newborns, whether they just graduated today, whether your kids are out of the house and have kids of their own, I think we can still engage them through these two ways of repair. And enemies may feel like a really strong word for us to use because certainly none of us intentionally try to communicate to our kids that we're on opposite sides, that we're enemies. But that's the thing that we need to pay attention to. Our message series is called Intentional Parenting. And if we're going to be intentional about our parenting here, we have to understand the unintentional messages that we might be sending to. We have to understand the messages that the enemy may be trying to twist that they listen to more. Romans 5.10 tells us that we ourselves are all enemies of God, every single one of us in this room. But he reconciled with us through Jesus' death and resurrection. He chose to repair with us so ultimately we could be in safe relationship with him for eternity. 
Yeah. So, so we repair with our kids, not just because it's going to create more safety in our own relationships, but it, it will. Not just because it's going to create more security in their own identity, which it's going to do. We repair with them not just to interrupt the messages that the enemy is trying to send, which it will do that too, but we repair with them because when we die to our old self, when we choose patience, kindness, compassion, and empathy over anger, discouragement, disengagement, and impatience, we point our kids back to the one who died for all of our sins. When we choose to repair, we point our kids to the one who repaired with us, even when we didn't deserve it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins and giving us the chance to no longer be your enemy. We confess that we are too easily swayed to go back to our old selves and to believe the messages that the enemy wants us to hear rather than stepping into our new selves and believing what you say about us. Help us then, Lord, in our unbelief and in our own shortcomings to be the parents, to be the people, and to be the image bearers that you've called us to be. Help us to know what to say even when we don't know what to say and to know what to do even when we don't know what to do and to rely on you always. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.